0: I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Okay, I'm ready. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API.
1: Now,
2: from the Nowcast Network studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Howdy Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Nick Peck. Nick! Hello, Mike. How are you? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too, brother. Next to him, second show in a row, Scott Gershon. I don't have that much energy. energy. (laughs) Hi, Mike. That was kind of a letdown there.
1: <laughs> Hi, Mike.
3: Hi, Mike.
2: Uh, Hi, Mike. And finally, over here on my left, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. Yes, this is show 138 in a row, Ooh. Rob Arbiter.
0: Hello, Mike. And I just want to say I'm keeping the one-syllable first name tradition alive tonight.
2: You are? Mike, Nick, Scott, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and in the tradition, our guest... Fred. All <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Joining us today is uh, Fred Bendel, keyboardist and guitarist, and he's played with everybody, but specifically a couple really cool acts that uh, we'll talk about. But Fred, welcome to the Audio Nowcast.
4: Thanks. Thanks very much. I'm glad it's not an intervention. I got a little nervous with the, <laughs>
2: <laughs> with the family being here.
4: <laughs> uh, Fred, we want to talk here. about your driving habit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well... We've got a really great show planned for today. Um but before we do anything, I have a really big announcement. And uh, this marks the first podcast of our newest panel member, Nick Peck. All right. Nick is officially a panel member. You'll see his bio go up on the uh, on the website. And um you know, he has the resume and he fits in and you know, I knew he would fit in after the first time he was with us and it spent actually what two hours after the podcast? Just yapping just wrapping.
1: and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is how the podcast started. <laughs> yapping and yapping. So well, thank you, Mike. Uh, that's an awesome honor. I absolutely love this show, and as you've mentioned before, I was a fan before uh, coming on board, and I think it's great, and it's a huge honor to hang out and talk with such a bunch of uh, wonderful and experienced people. So thanks very much.
2: Hey, and if I ever need a job, I. I know the guy over at Disney, see? So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. The mouse's uh, whiskers. <laughs> no, just kidding. But no, it's great, and we're glad to have you on board.
0: And so, do we have to sacrifice an old podcast uh, panel member to the guy? <laughs> <we> right. just-
2: <laughs> one comes in and one goes out. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> no,
2: it's all good. Okay.
0: Um, we can expand our hug.
2: We can, that's right. <laughs> we include everyone. But look at it this way it keeps this from being a three member panel to a four-member panel.
0: That's a very good <laughs> But um, No, it's an awesome addition. Welcome. Well, thank you so
4: much. So, and good, good application of the word member in this particular... <laughs>
1: <laughs> said, no. Fred, we're going to have fun, man.
2: <laughs> well, a couple things. Number one, um, man, what a weird summer. It was a really weird summer. I mean, it started off with a couple really tragic things happening that we've talked about on the podcast, and then... Uh, it just got weird. But mm. now we're heading into the fall, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to get better. I'm all jazzed up for AES, you know, and um, we had some great things happen. The um, Sound Designers Roundtables, those were really cool. We did two of them. Um, and, Scott, we're going to have to do another one because we're going to have to talk about Riddick because uh-huh. your work on the latest Riddick – first of all, when did you have time to work on that movie? Uh, you know, every, every other <laughs> hour. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it was, it was funny. I got a chance to do two science fiction films in a year. Did you sleep at all? No, any time? Not at all. Not at I all. I mean, what was your worst day like on stage?
3: Yeah, actually, you know, the stage wasn't too bad. The stages actually between between both movies were very civil, but the, the prepping for it was challenging. So, you know, I think I've spent two years between games and movies just doing creatures. I mean high end creatures. I know. And, and and exotic
2: weapons. So you know it was fun yeah. well we're gonna have to talk about it because I saw the movie and there was fantastic sound oh, thank and you. the way some of the black is voiced and some of the monsters and stuff I mean it's just it's phenomenal
1: that I, sound design is just ridiculous it
2: is
3: ridiculous uh,
0: <laughs> oh very good
1: I and now Nick is no longer on the panel <laughs> it's been fun <laughs>
2: thanks
0: guys
1: <It's> shortest <laughs> tenure ever
2: <laughs> Fred did you ever get involved with in any kind of sound effects or anything no I've spent some time with high end creatures though um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> but uh, uh,
2: they were in bands. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, anyhow, we're gonna we're gonna do a show where we talk more about that. But uh, I just wanted to give you a plug because the work was really Thank really you. awesome. It was Thank really you. good. Uh, I mean on the like – I mean Pacific Rim was great, but I think this was just as strong and for what it is. So. Wow. Thank you. It was really good. So anyhow, um, AES, any of you guys plan on going there, being at, at AES?
0: I wish I could. There's just no time at the moment. OK. Ditto.
2: I'm going to be there and I'm going to try to do something that I vowed I'd never do. And when is AS for our listeners? Or when was it? Depending when on when, when this was, part, October seventeenth through the twenty-first. Uh, okay. As. dot yeah.
0: And what is it you are going to try to do for the first time? I Not should, buy any gear?
2: No. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I am going to. Um, we're going to tweet. We're going to. I am going to tweet from uh, As. Hmm, and I am going to give uh, my honest, uh, unbiased opinion on some of the gear there. Nice. So if you want to hear those. Uninformed, really badly composed tweets. Actually, if you want to read them, yeah, just go to uh, Audio Nowcast is our uh, at AudioNowCast is our handle, tweet screen name. What do you call yeah. it? Give me some help. <laughs> I think help. it's our handle. I think. Yeah, it's Twitter handle. Yeah. Yeah, is that, it? <laughs> yeah that would do it. All yeah. right. So, um, just wanted to take care of. Uh, a couple of that, uh, a couple of those things. Um, one really quick thing that I, I did want to open up to you guys, and and Fred, um, you can weigh in on this. Um, as I was doing some of my homework and some of my prep for when I go out to the AS show, you start to see some trends that that go up and down. And one thing that I really noticed is it seems to be that there's this big push right now on the process of making X, making music, making sound effects, making sound design, more so than you've really ever seen um, in the past and specifically with the new Avid S6 board coming out um, and also Slate Digital. I don't know if you guys know that The Raven and they also came out with a smaller version of The Raven. You don't hear too much about the way things sound anymore and and there's some fantastic things that are coming out and, and on the second half when we talk to you, Fred, and I want to dig into some of the keys that you've played, um, I'm just wondering – do you guys get the sense that you know we're kind of in this time of just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen? It's like where's the next audio breakthrough going to come? Is it going to be granular synthesis? Is it going to be um some type of it's you know i don't know I, I just don't know where it's going to go. You see a lot of Eurorack, a lot of Old stuff is is becoming hip, but you just don't see anything. Even the workstations that come out are kind of have been kind of played out. And I just wanted to get your guys' opinion as to where do you think the actual sound of things is going, or do you see it going anywhere? Is it going to stay the same? I mean, Nick, you're pretty well read.
1: Well, let me think about that. You know, everything old is new again. You know there's been a tremendous amount of interest in vintage gear for a long you know a long time a lot of tube stuff that has been coming along. The thing that really tickles my fancy and the thing that i'm most interested in these days um, are sample libraries that actually sound like you know pretty real acoustic instruments, right. so you know I was just fooling around with the what was it? The, the LA scoring string stuff, right? And that sounds pretty phenomenal. The ability, I think, to be able to go in there and have you know fairly realistic sounding brass and fair, fairly realistic sounding violins that are down you know on a hundred and ninety nine dollar copy of Logic on you know anybody's iMac that's pretty impressive to me. Um,
2: but even then, that's more of the process of getting your sounds to sound real as opposed mm-hmm. to new
0: sounds,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody.
0: I mean, at least all the producers I work with and, and programmers and stuff, everybody's got a pretty massive arsenal. Yeah. No one is sitting yeah. around saying, oh, if I could only make this one other sound. I mean, right. Everybody's got 10 billion sounds on their laptop now. I think at some point, if someone came through with some new amazing sound, everybody would adopt it. But I don't see people... It's not like in the old days where you had you know four synths and that's all there were. Right. And so when you used up those sounds, they were done. Uh, I don't... I don't know if anybody. It's been a long time since I heard anybody say that we're trying to get a sound that they couldn't get. Right. right. There's so much I, software. I, I, you like. know, I think
3: that also the difference was. I think in the days of say the, even the '80s uh, records, you know, you were a Neve guy, you were an SSL guy, you were trying. You know, you picked the console, you picked the keyboard, you you picked the technology, and you kind of ran with it. I think what's happening now, even when you look at the S6 which is a hardware equivalent of what's happening with plugins, it's all becoming modular. So like the concept with the new console is you can configure it the way you want to. And I think with the 500 racks and everything else, now you don't need the SSL sound or the Neve sound. You can have it all, which is not specifically new, but I think that um, being able to capture whether it's, analog gear to digital right. whether it's controllers now whether it's oh, the other part of the thing is networking i think that's the next go ahead where you know you relied on one computer or one ipad i think that the communication between them is 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 going to
0: get better. And none of that – I mean the Essex is a hugely exciting product and, and networking and collaboration and group workflows and all that stuff is is hugely cool. Right. And everything, it just – it has nothing to do with sound. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> right. It has
2: nothing to do with, it's, it's, with sound. Because
0: I think everybody kind of feels like they have a way to get all the sounds they need. Right. And even a composer, what you you might aspire to more and more libraries and big expensive libraries, the library world – as I can attest to, it gets really expensive when you try to play that game of I must have everything. Right. You know?
3: For a but while, you could do that. but It used to be, though, I think that when you, you know, if you looked even like you know, uh, Dolby just passed away, and when you saw what drove him to get into the technology, somebody finds a need. Somebody says, I can make that sound better. I think what's interesting with the concept of modular is like there's a new mic pre that's been buzzing around my circles, and that's called Pueblo. And it's a very, very, very high-end. Why? Because somebody said, I can make it better. I can make it cleaner. I can get you higher gain with absolutely no noise. So he's gotten the best components. It's about two to three grand right. um, for two channels, and then you can expand upon there. Um, but that's become the big buzz because you can crank it and get all these subtleties yeah. with, with no color but no noise.
2: Fred, did you ever play uh, any of the rack, the mood modular or any of that stuff? You no,
4: I, 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 my first big one down here was the Oberheim, you know, four voice. Uh,
2: oh.
4: Which was, you know, I remember hitting it with a shoe in the studio to try and keep it in tune. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out, out for you. Yeah. <laughs> but when we started in Toronto in a band, we had two corgs, two korg maxi-korgs, mm-hmm. and those were two voice, uh, two voice each. So we'd use, you know, two, two keyboard players to play one four-voice horn section. But... You know, you're right about the modular situation because, from my perspective, recording at home, uh, it's allowed me, like with lunch boxes and, you know, Brent Averill APIs and preamps and stuff to go and do a fair amount of work at home and then translate, you know, go to the studio and merge the two. Right. The merging never existed before. Where you now have major studios, but you know, not everybody has the budget to go in and spend you know, three weeks writing in the studio, which right. I've been in bands that have done that. Just block it out and, you know, with no songs and then record yeah. when you get them. But now you have the luxury of taking these modular things, which are pretty high quality now. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's transferred the studio to the home studio to your uh, accessibility and now you can actually do records in your, which is nothing new. But I mean, the quality is continually improving. But at the same time, people are listening to crappy MP3s on. So there's this disparity, you know, a disparity between the 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 raising the audio bar and the listener, which oh, is yeah.
2: becoming wider, I think. It's, especially on services like Spotify. Uh, I mean, for example, um, Fallout Boy, the new album, um, it is first of all it's great good songwriting you can tell good songwriting great mixing great production Horrible sounds horrible on on Spotify. It just sounds like it's just going to rip apart. It's like uh, distorting, and I'm I was just I was just let down. It was just so
4: well. That, you know, I, it's interesting because I got a record that I'm going to get mastered, and I was talking to the mastering engineer in New York, and he was telling me, you know, that they have a specific mastering process, right, separate from the regular mastering process for iTunes.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: So now they're starting to. Ca- so how do you when well, there's so many you know mediums coming out and yeah. different you know. Categories and different sound levels of quality. Yeah, you know how do you manage to find the average, which is what you used to listen for on those art tones. Well,
0: and the other problem is some of these uh, some of these outlets for you know distributing music they're secretive about the right way to encode the stuff for them. Yeah. I mean I'm sure they share the secret with. The major labels and stuff but if you're just a person trying to do this on your own it's yeah. not that easy to get your stuff uploaded and sounding
2: right they yeah. didn't share it with fallout boy i'll tell you apparently, that. Not. <laughs> but, apparently but, not but see if you look at what we're talking about though is everything is a process and you know mastering stuff like that it's like i'm like where's the sounds i mean but remember, what are you?
0: but like, is something lacking i think no, everybody's gotten to the point where they
1: feel like it's uh, all good enough
2: but it's well, like are we at a point where it's like well we pretty much heard it all, <laughs> now we're just going no, well, to...
1: No, there's always room yeah. for good music and good songwriting. I mean, the reality of the situation is that you can get a perfectly reasonable you know, mic preamp in the hundreds of dollars. I mean, I love the Millennias and the Pueblos and all of that stuff, too. But you can certainly get your musical idea across you know, with material Chinese microphones but, and but inexpensive e- preamps. E- even transducer
3: technology, because one thing I've noticed in the last five to ten years, but more towards the five, it used to be... That the great mics were great, the great speakers were great, mm-hmm. and then everything else was crap. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you get MXL mics. You get all these mics that, you know what? Sound pretty decent. They're not quite as good as an 87, but they're getting really close. Speakers. There's a lot of speakers, huge range, that are actually pretty decent. So now, instead of being crap to good, it's actually
0: good to great. Well, there's there's a lot of, what I was going to touch on is, the concept of good enough, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there now that's good enough. And I just I, I have to keep everything completely anonymous here for a second, but I know of someone who was involved in a project recently. Did that sound like I'm distancing myself enough? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay. I've heard tell of a project recently <laughs> where uh they did everything at a high sample rate. And and the songs were not good. Okay. And so <laughs> It's Unusual.
2: like they're, <laughs> <but> they're all <laughs>
0: excited and all proud about how pristinely they've captured these lousy songs. Uh. And, you know, 44 one would be good enough. Give me a great song at 44 one, as opposed to a, something bad at 96. But, right. You know what
3: though? I it, think
0: 44 one, a lot of things are good enough. People lose sight of what's the most important thing. It, the music industry definitely suffers from that. Now yeah, I don't know about right. post as much, but, but you know,
3: so, I, I'll say this though, you know, with that, there's a reason why there's an engineer and there's a reason why there's musicians. Musicians, hopefully, are trying to make good music. The engineers are trying to capture a performance, a little something going on that the musicians have. You hear the room. You know Everybody's got different strategies of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, because they come from both worlds, on one hand, um, the engineers, yes, they are trying to make it as best as they can, as pristine and three-dimensional and make it sound amazing. It's up to the musicians, the composers, to make good music. The two don't always work together.
0: You can have great music recorded badly. The two don't even exist in a lot of music productions. I I mean, you have lots of artists just doing everything. I agree. In a perfect world. Yeah, I've had to do
4: a lot myself, too. Yeah, you end up in that position sort of forced into it. Because otherwise, you, especially when you've been in situations where you've seen large budget albums mm-hmm. done and you're trying to recreate it in your own situation, you, you can't well, – most people can't afford to do it's that. It's best
0: to do it with the separate engineer and the producer right. and all yeah. these people. But the budget has to warrant it. So yeah, I mean I'm lucky to be working on projects project now that has the budget to have all the different stages you know, set right. up properly. But that's not the bulk. I have – Plenty of talented friends who are doing this stuff from beginning to end on their own because they have there is no budget, right. and well, yet they turn out an amazing product because they're brilliant creative people.
2: Well, I'll tell you, the the gears getting the gears getting adequate and the high end still high, but the but the low end is definitely coming out. The gears but been but inadequate
0: for a long time, yeah.
2: But where it's really exciting, and you know, I started on this pursuit of trying to find new sounds. And you know where the new sounds are? Do you know where the new synths are? The things that really, like, are awesome, they're on your tablet. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. they're, yeah. yeah. iPad. I mean, there are some amazing – I just bought a couple great scents and there's just – some amazing technology coming on the iPad. Yeah, that end log, yeah. A
4: few other those end log.
2: The the yeah. new yeah. stuff from um, all the MS, the that, um, twenty, Waldorf, and yeah. and all. I mean, those. all it is is you know it's a computer
3: with
0: a different front. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's all it is. Does same it have good I/O? chips?
2: Five chips? Yeah. Well, it has okay IO because the get, greatest sound in the
0: world with a crappy D to A is still well, a yeah. crappy sound.
2: Apogee, you know, is starting to make some interfaces, and there are interfaces that are coming out and that are that are. Going multi out, you can do like twenty four out now and things like that. Yeah. And Cubases, I mean, they mm-hmm. have uh, they have Cubase has their version, but it's amazing that it's like what goes around comes around because now on the on the iPad we're going through that revolution that we went through on the computer you know ten years ago. But
4: it all and- turns around too because not that's happening, but at the same time, from my perspective, thing things happening where I'm going to sessions and they want me to play B three and piano. Period. Yeah. and yeah. you get it. And now one of the most exciting new iPad apps I've seen out. Or I think it's an iPad, or, or no, I think it's a um, it's a plugin. Is the new clavinet plugin mm-hmm. that's just come out recently? It's getting and, you know, and it's, SOS has been raving about that. So it's kind of you know, as well as, well as new sounds, they're also a reversion back to some yeah. of the '70s stuff too, mm-hmm. and people playing real instruments. And you but know, there's
3: some great stuff. I think everybody wants to recapture what's already existed.
0: It's hard to do, but. Sure, it's funny. Clavinet's actually a good example because you look at every synth that has ever come out ever. You know, it was always trying to approximate a clavinet, and then you know, back to the sound canvas and all that yeah, stuff, yeah. which I'm ashamed to say we actually did use on the road for a while as the clavinet <laughs> sound. Um,
2: it was a good clavinet, was sound,
0: At the time, until yes. you actually plug in a real clavinet, and then you well, just want to smack yourself in the head when you hear how much better. <laughs> it is But then, after a
4: while, the real clavinet's pulling the strings up with the rubber, and you exactly. got to go in, yeah, so yeah, on yeah, and and Everybody loves tips, the, everybody and the it, roads yeah. until they yeah. got to play one. Well, er, er, yeah, everybody right, loves exactly. the old keyboards when they worked, when they work, and you don't have to lift them
0: yeah right and the, the approximations for all those things though have started to get good like that you can actually get a good roads
1: and you can get a oh, good absolutely. B3 really good really good I gig around with the Nord Electro and it's you know fantastic yeah. I leave yeah. all of my 70s rig at home yep. where it doesn't get beat up from the road it all is in great shape and it all sounds great when I'm recording mm-hmm. but I I take it as a point of pride that you know what used to fill up half a van for me I now can throw in the back of my car you know yes. See, well, we well, have one, the, I have the antithesis to that because I just played a gig two weeks ago and they brought in a B3 but they had it for yeah. you. Didn't have to, didn't oh, have to didn't carry it. Oh, I didn't have to carry it on the way in, <laughs> but, yeah. but on
4: the way out, two people di- conveniently disappeared, oh, and I did help out. You know, yeah, which yeah, is certainly. why I'm uh, talking uh, higher. <laughs> I'm speaking as probably
3: one of the lone guitar players in this group. He's a guitar. player. Oh, guitar. Okay, uh, Axe Effects.
4: Uh, yeah, it's like the I have the eleven, the uh, pro, you know the, the Ava eleven. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I like that the fractal thing. Yeah,
3: the fractal audio. So Axe Effects. So now it used and to the be the
4: pro Kemper pro, Profilers.
3: Now. Absolutely. So now it used to be as a guitar player, you have to bring multiple uh, 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 heads and, and speakers and guitar rigs, and and now all of a sudden I got I've got Dumbles, I've got Carolines, I've got boogies, yeah. and it's all there just by a flip of the switch. And it's really close. I mean, it's... And the yeah. difference
4: is now that you realize between miking that amp yeah. and using that, you're it's a 50-50, you know, whether you're going to get a better sound with that miking If you're the technique and, you know, sure. how close you are and, and the variable parameters. Whereas you plug into this thing and you're 99% of the way there to begin with. So exactly. once you modify those sounds, you're pretty close.
3: And I know a lot, a lot of guys who are going on tour now, they're just saying, screw it, I don't want to take the whole rig, I'll take the ax they'll take a good Celestian setup that they like, yep.
0: bada-bing, and now they've got everything they need. You know what's funny? We used yeah. to, back in the, and this is the old days, but we used to sort of pride ourselves on how gigantic and heavy and ridiculous <laughs> our rig was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those early no. tours that yeah. Mike and I first did together yeah. for Stevie, I mean, we were carrying two sync claviers because one only weighed like a ton and a half <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so we're carrying two of those and these arrays of keyboards that you know you'd see the truck like bending as they'd be loading the stuff in because that at one point that was the cool thing yeah. now the cool thing is you know i'm holding up my iphone for those That's listening high. on podcast which is everyone you know now everything is in your phone or everything's on your tablet yeah yeah i would still argue we got a better sound than you could get out of your Absolutely. tablet but Absolutely. i don't know if it's that much better that it would be worth the
2: hassle and the expense. Well, you know what's amazing is you I have... I mean, the acoustics of the stadium suck. Yeah, um, and, you and know. it's like
4: you used to have the last... You know, I I did a tour and we had the Hammond out front and the Leslie in the back and the mic on the Leslie, but if anybody walked by it while they were talking, yeah. <laughs> hey, how are things? You know, yeah. know 30,000 people get to hear your sound. But, you know, but you know what? That's hilarious.
3: The new Rick Wakeman style, I mean, if you look at some of the Electronica stuff, like when we went to Fest, now the guy's got, you know, 10 or 15 iPads all hanging around him yeah. so it looks like a light show. Yeah, but... But you and, know, talking about
2: know. iPads. There's definitely some new synthesis and new sounds that you get on the iPad that you can, can't get anywhere. But, but even like, like, like Alchemy on Chaos, well, like, chaos. Yeah, yeah. even, yeah. even yeah. besides that, but I mean, you got things stuff. like Curtis. You know, yep. Curtis is a good one. Um, Anamoog, you know, yep. um, and also um, Nave. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's the same guy who did the Waldorf. Mm-hmm. Um, um, all that stuff is exciting, but it's at the same time. I'm a little depressed that it's all happening on my iPad. Well, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the
1: sounds are novel and interesting coming out of the iPad, but that doesn't mean that the user interface experience of touching a small piece of glass yeah. is going to allow you the same kind of, you know, expressivity that you'd have playing a keyboard instrument or yeah. a yeah, guitar. Don't you but, but you don't don't know what, my interfaces. 10-year-old son, <laughs> though,
3: he's got all his, he's got his iPad, his Mac, and his little, you know, iTouch, yeah. Yeah. and he's totally set up. Doing what he does in Minecraft and stuff, but in other words, he doesn't know from another day. Yeah, I know. So those points, I mean, I love the idea that I can go do something at work, put it on equivalent of the cloud, go home, right? Continue working on it, then go to another guy's studio, access it, and I've got
2: everything I need, whether it's business wise and audio wise, all online. Well, yeah. all this—that's well, crazy. All this to say is, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes on in the aes show that and then now it's the we're, really to, that we're kind gonna of, be yeah. a, it's yeah. it's a pivotal year I, i'm really curious to see um, i know a couple things that are going to be um released and and some of them are pretty pretty cool um but i'd be curious to see where it goes it seems like we're just kind of we're primed for something i don't know what that is but uh but we're primed uh, for something one
0: thing that you have to remember if you're and this is probably on the post side too but it's definitely on the music side when you're dealing with a level playing field where everybody has the same toys like this happened a lot when everybody got the same plugins you have to differentiate yourself yeah you know it, there was a time when korg would come out with a new keyboard and then every record made for the next year would have the same factory sounds yeah. on it and it was yeah. just oh they bought a they bought a <laughs> trinity or whatever well, the seven, well, the that's
4: seven, right thing. yeah it got
0: used yeah. to and death the d50 or, yeah, yeah. The same but and now there's a much bigger base of, of <laughs> stuff for people to use but yeah. As these amazing tools, you know, if it's a cheap app for your iPad, then that means everybody can have it. It's it gets back to the point where creativity still trumps everything. That's true. You don't need a million tools, you need the right tools that you have mastered. And you really should put your emphasis. I get all these demos in from all these remixers and producers because of the projects I'm working on right now. And you listen to the stuff and you could string a lot of these demos together and say it was one person and, and someone would believe it. There's like no differentiation. That's
4: true. You hear yeah. a lot of stuff that is ironically very similar. Very and, similar.
0: You gotta find your niche and whatever tools you're using, master them and make the sound your own. Because you're competing in a world right now where everybody has access to the same instruments.
3: Yeah. And, and and it used to be that only the highest level musicians and and, and projects Went to the best studios, the world-renowned studios who had vintage Poltecs and, and LA, you know, LA two A's and and now everybody's got the LA two A's and you know, you have six versions of a Poltec and ten versions of an LA two A and <laughs> uh, you know, and and it's just all there. So I think the bad news is f- for those people that used to own and run studios, yeah. it's it's horrid out there.
2: But I will say this, and um, before we take a break, that um, I started in the digital world. I'm only Since I've gotten into music mixing, have gone over to the analog world, and you just can't beat the real thing. No, you cannot. There's something about that analog thing. Something there's a little bit of magic in there. But you hit that compressor, you hit that API EQ, you hit that. You know, you you track with a good preamp. I mean. The magic is still there, and I'm going to keep it alive. Dang it, that's going to be my goal. <laughs> keep
1: I the think magic alive. I think it's also a workflow thing. I mean, part of what we're talking about here, and I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but you know, you get in there and you have a fake Poltek up on your screen. You're still operating it with a mouse, or maybe if you have yeah. you know a D command or something, you have virtual knobs. But you have to look and see where it is that the right you know knob is for the gain for this frequency band. If you've got a pull tech there, there's just something. There's something so wonderful and rich about going over and turning the knob and listening to the sound of it as it and changes. Listening
2: and listening to it affect your voice. That. Listening to your voice get thick as you're as you're adjusting your compressor. Well, that's your voice because
0: you're welling up with tears at the experience. <laughs> but
1: you know, what? The,
2: you know what, where, where I found this? Because I, I, I mean, I use a lot of, lot, a
3: lot, a lot of plugins. But you know, lately, what I've been heavily getting into is multiband anything, multi-band distortions, multi-band EQs, multi-band threshold EQs. Some of the stuff that never existed. Yeah. There's some stuff that you know, forget de-essers in the old stage. I mean, they're, that's just old, old, old form now. There's so many amazing. You like, where's the new stuff coming from? Right. Um, that, that's where it's 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 modular based elements, a um, uh, magma. Uh, has a great little vst where now you can start patching lfos to other plugins which you can never do in pro tools so now i can actually take multiple vst plugins and take lfos and start controlling them like a modular synth
2: without board gear that stuff is really cool we never had that well i'll tell you what we're gonna we're gonna take a break and uh it's gonna be interesting like i said to see what happens at AES and I will uh, tweet it, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. So when we come back, we are going to visit with Fred, because we've been talking to Fred. Oh, and- Fred's here. <laughs> Hi, Fred. Hey. What
0: am but, I doing here?
2: But you got to hear this guy's story. He's played with some great bands, and uh, i got a ton of questions to ask him. So we'll catch you on the other side.
0: You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com.
2: Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking about all kinds of stuff, <laughs> mainly AES Looking forward to it. One thing I wanted to add is uh, you know, in a lot of modern music today, um, our jobs don't even exist anymore, really, Rob, as to what we were touring back in the day. Uh, oh, you mean two, as far as the tour stuff? As yeah. far as the big MIDI systems. I mean because that's what – basically I made my career off of giant MIDI systems and now it's laptops. Yeah, it doesn't take
0: four guys to like <laughs> put a laptop on a, coffee, on a table and, and yeah. turn it yep. on.
2: But – we must move. I still on. think it
0: was cooler than what we were doing back
2: then. Absolutely, because it was a lot harder.
0: Well, like, when sound started
4: to come out, you had really
0: accomplished something. Well,
2: yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah, but then you're <laughs>
4: making uh, calls from. Uh, I, make, I remember making calls from uh, Holland to Dave Oppenheim for uh, to figure out how the sequencer worked. You know, that's yeah, we're yeah. yeah, having trouble. trouble but, punching but, in. Well, see, now you have to be an IT guy. I don't uh, know. Computer's that
3: computer's no longer talking to that computer, and it, none of it switches <laughs> yeah, together. That's <laughs> true.
4: That's I mean, when it, I used to carry CompuServe, uh, you <laughs> know, <laughs> with a <the> plug <laughs> in my
2: phone. <laughs>
4: I did that on the road, actually. I, I, two, two guys on the road had CompuServe, myself and the drummer. And, you know, the couplers, you'd probably right, put absolutely. your phone in the coupler, yeah, yeah. And I typed out, hey, how are you? And then my friend knocked on the door a few minutes. He said, I'm in the next room. Went around all, all around the world. Right? <laughs> CompuServe,
2: what a great thing that was. <laughs> well, speaking of CompuServe, Fred.
4: <laughs> well, that's a segue for you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> you know, we're truly honored to have Fred Mandel with us. And... If you go on his wiki sites and you read what he's done and who he's played with, um, first of all, you toured with Queen. That, in and of itself, is just awe-inspiring. Well, my I mean, wiki
4: site said I toured with Queen, but I've tried to correct stuff on there, and they won't <laughs> let you they kick you off. So, yeah, now that was true. That was uh, 1982.
2: And then you also played on uh, on their album The Works, correct?
4: Yeah, well, I did three records with them. I did... Um, I did The Works. Uh, we did Radio Gaga and I Want to Break Free and some other stuff. And then um, before that, I no, yeah, it was The Works. And then I did uh, Brian May's solo record with Eddie Van Halen. We did a thing called Starfleet. Right. And then Freddie Mercury's solo record, Mr. Bad Guy,
2: which we did in uh, Germany, some of that. Um, and why don't you uh, just give us a really quick bio of, of how you got started and who have you played with? Because I've got some questions that—
4: Oh, right. boy, I don't— <laughs> I don't really have a memorized Bible. I have to go back to my childhood in Saskatchewan. Yeah,
2: let's go. Let's, absolutely. Uh, well, I
4: started playing when I was four, piano and guitar when I was eight, and then I ended up, you know, playing in local bands. Then when I was nineteen or twenty, I went on the road with, with Grant Smith and the Power, <laughs> which was a uh, show band, kind of a you know, we wore pink bow ties, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. did Kondo uh, Kondo. And then I got picked up uh, with the Canadian band, Lighthouse, which was, you know, had a kind of a Chicago uh, kind of band, horns and stuff, and ended up in Dominique Triano's band. And Donnie Triano was the guitar player who took over from uh, James Wall- Joe, from Joe Walsh in the in the James Gang, hmm. and he also played with Guess Who, is a renowned guitar player uh, in Canada, and he was doing Dick Wagner's record up there. And Dick Wagner was Alice Cooper's musical director, and I got offered to play piano with Alice, so I. I went to the states from Canada and ended up playing with Alice for about four or five years and writing some stuff with him. And then, then after that, I did Queen in '82. Oh, I did some stuff on the Wall and uh, right. Yeah. I, swear, I read that. And uh, that was B three, a couple of tracks.
2: Really? Yeah. What tracks that, were those? Um, in the
4: Flash in the Show, I think. But I got wow. you know, it's kind of like I didn't get credit on the album, but I got credit on the the movie because <laughs> uh, Gilmore. I talked to you know Gilmore and 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 they said that they'd already been printed up the albums by the time I did my stuff at producers here with Ezrin.
1: So was Richard Wright not playing in the uh, during the wall? Not I when played? I was there.
4: He wasn't there at all, and mm-hmm. it was, I had to come and do these organ overdubs at producer's workshop on Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up, you know, playing with Alice for a while, and then uh, a bunch of other stuff. And um, I, I met Roy Thomas Baker when I was working with Alice. We did a record um, in eighty seventy nine eighty called "Flush of Fashion." And so I worked with Roy, and that was my connection to Queen. And um, after that, I I went on the road with uh, Queen in eighty. Two, we did yeah, America and Japan, and then after that, I, I ended up playing with Supertramp for a year. We we did it America and uh, Europe, I believe. Wow! And then I got the call because in '78 I had played with Alice, and I ended up being musical director. Kind of the director was gone, so it ended nobody else was left but me <laughs> and Davy Johnstone and Dee Murray uh, had joined the band from Elton's band, and that's where I made the connection. So I knew those guys. Right. And then when an uh, opening from James Newton Howard had left uh, to do his you know, all his scoring. And uh, so there was an opening and then I guess I was a logical uh, candidate because I was, you know, friends with those guys and would worked with them for years by that point. So I joined Elton in 84 and worked with him from 84 to about 90. So. Wow. And,
2: uh, so you were there when he had his – one of his many <laughs> – and Valleys one of his many rises that he had oh
4: yeah 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 well,
2: I'm I, still standing up on that yeah, at
4: that, that time uh, yeah right on there we did uh, we had a hit with sacrifice and I don't want to go on with you like that and a bunch of stuff um, yeah. Nikita. but um I think I did five five records with him on all the tours and wow
1: yeah it was fun. It's incredible because you're a keyboard player and yet you were playing keyboards with three incredibly strong keyboard bands a yeah, row, well, yeah. right? <laughs> Queen, Supertramp, and then Elton John.
4: Well, you know, Freddie Mercury was really uh, kind of a um, – he liked my rock and roll playing. He was more classically oriented, as you can tell. And he liked my rock and roll playing and uh, we did a song called uh, Man on the Prowl on the works record. And this is the kind of guy he was actually. He, he said, why don't you take over from me halfway through the tune and you start playing. I like the way you play rock and roll. It was kind of a follow-up to a crazy little thing. And I said, well, okay. He said, I, I'm used to doing sessions. So it wasn't anything unusual. But he said, "And besides, they'll think it's me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, boy, here we go again. <laughs> uh, you know, no credit. Paying yeah. no attention uh, to that man s- behind the curtain. <laughs> so about three-quarters of the way through the tune, I, I ended up playing this rock and roll stuff. And he specifically gave me credit on that record. Uh, specifically, mm. out of his mouth, you know, Special credit, so that was the kind of guy he was. He, he liked my playing. He dragged me out to the front and made me play his piano for a crazy little thing. We used to turn it into a much longer piano solo thing and had a lot of fun with it and so he, we had a real mutual respect. you know He was a great piano player, really great piano player. He did stuff that you know seemed simple but was very right. difficult. classical things he'd cross his hands to play the top part in bohemian rhapsody and right. very uh, i mean to play that stuff every night perfect, which he did. Israeli while he, singing, like while that. singing his ass off,
2: he was such a great showman too. If you see any of those videos of any of those famous Queen shows, I mean, you just you're so mesmerized. You're just so I, I mean, I'm in awe. Just the
4: well, he, performance. He had have. the crowd in the. I mean, you say people say that, but there are a few people that had the have the crowd in the palm of their hands. You know, there'd be thousands and thousands of people out there, and he had he had them. There was like one. It was an intimate gathering when he was in charge of this, you know, that situation.
2: So when you were with Queen, when you were touring, what what kind of uh, – what was your rig? What was your keyboard setup? I had a you... pretty
4: simple setup then. I, I had two Jupiter 8s and um, CP70. Wow. And I did all the – when I came in, we were kind of coming off uh, Hot – not Hot Space. Was it Hot Space? I think it was kind of, a, kind of almost a disco-oriented record with a lot of synth bass and a lot of kind of synth effects. Right. And between the two Jupiters, I was able to accomplish that, because I knew the Jupiter pretty well by then. I had to learn it for Queen, but <laughs> I kind of faked my way into that. But they had a good bass sound, and I had little you know, programs for hitting effects and things. And it wasn't anything really complicated, but their songs were not symmetrical in those days. They were experimental. So you couldn't just memorize a tune and say, oh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Cause it was verse, half-chorus, longer verse, <laughs> longer half-chorus, right. know, bridge, half a br- you know." So it was complicated stuff, but... For some reason, I was able to uh, retain it. I remember I flew into Montreal on Sunday night, and I wasn't sure what they were going to do. I had a general idea, and played with them Wednesday night at the Forum. We did two rehearsals, and then we played live, 17,000 people in the Montreal Forum, and that I couldn't have walked into a situation now and been comfortable doing that nowadays, you know. But then I didn't care, so I just thought, oh, I can do this. This will be fine. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with this picture.
2: It'll be fine.
4: I don't need to worry.
2: Yeah. Um, well, you know, the uh, the production of well, specifically um, Radio Gaga, I mean, that is such a great song where it, where it starts and then it just gets so big and just yeah. just anthem and just – powerful at the end and it was just uh, its really amazing. Um, do you know what kind of boards he used on that particular well, time?
4: Well Mac did that. Reinhold Mac did, uh, and Mac told me uh, engineers would sort of laugh at him when he told what, if he mentioned what uh, equipment he was using but I think a lot of the stuff he did on a Harrison board mm-hmm. um, we did that at the record plant here and that was the situation where we had three rooms rented out and guys were writing in the studio so it was a very luxurious situation. But uh, they were working in another studio, and I, I went in with um, with Roger, the drummer, and um, I actually played bass on the original track for Radio Gaga. And, uh, and then John copied some of my stuff and put his own stuff in. But I played piano and then dubbed overdubbed synthesizers and stuff and just built it up. And then we went in into the other studio, and Freddie sang lead for some of the stuff into my Jupiter, which was attached to a vocorder. So when you hear radio, right, that stuff, right. we were just playing chords, and he was singing He was singing and I was playing. So it was kind of interesting the way it built up, and then Brian put his guitars on afterwards. But, you know, like I Want to Break Free, that, that was another thing we did in L.A., and I was, I th- it was an unusual situation because Brian usually played all the solos, and they never had other instrumentalists on their albums before. Right. So I was used to doing sessions, and they said, "We'll play a solo on it." So I put that solo on, you know, which is kind of funny because it's a synth solo on a Jupiter Eight, and people thought it was Brian through a guitar, you know. <laughs> so you don't even get credit then, you know. You just, yeah. And I'm <laughs> starting to see a thread. Here. Yeah, I know. yeah. All right. So years later, years a couple of years later, I'm in London mm-hmm. doing a record with Elton, and I go into this music store, and they've got a Roland synthesizer, a newer one than the Jupiter Eight. And I'm looking at some of the patches, and one says Maze Sound. Oh. And, it's a, <laughs> and it's a copy of my sound on the, that I'd made on their own instrument a few years before to sound like the solo in I Want to Break Free. And, and I'm thinking, you idiots, that was your synthesizer. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't Brian's sound. you know. Anyway, so this is what happens when you get into the tech, you know, technology. But uh, anyway. But it was a fun gig, and it was amazing working with
2: those guys. But see, now you know that the seven listeners to this podcast will be able to give you credit for that.
4: (laughs) That's right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Is
2: is there there anybody
3: that you didn't work with that you would have liked to work with?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm kind of of a piano player. I'd love to play with the Stones or, you know, uh, all that stuff. But they've got that covered, you know. (laughs) Chuck Livell's got that whole area covered for sure.
2: Yeah, he's been with them forever. Now, what was it like touring with them? I mean, what was it like just – just traveling and just uh, back in the day. Because when you were touring, you were like the generation right before we got, well, I got into the touring game.
0: Yeah. And so- you make it sound like they were on horseback no. or something. <laughs>
2: well-
1: <laughs> we had I have this times. parchment paper
0: here and I will write
1: <laughs> with my ink quill by the candlelight. Yeah. Open the door to the castle. <laughs> it's a mini quill. <laughs> well-
2: you know. But <laughs> well, that was a, that was the you know the pre mini days. That was you know where you had where you had Jeff Downs with Asia and his thirty-seven. Well, that's when you had the Wakeman, you know, he, every key, every keyboard you can imagine yeah. and four arms. So I mean, what was the what was it like? Just the, the touring experience back then in the day.
4: Well, with Queen it was pretty luxurious. Four limos, you know. Uh, we had a seven hundred seven, you know, like Air Force One. Uh, For the band, it seated about 80 people. We had 13 or 18 on there. And, uh, you know, you could sit anywhere, couches and TVs and So you
2: didn't do a bus tour.
4: We didn't do a bus tour. We flew all over the place with that band. And uh, actually, we had a weird experience. We ended up on the Lisa Marie, Elvis Presley's plane. Which looked like a flying Bordello. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the anniversary of his death, the 7th, into New Orleans, really? we had a really bad flight. A really, like, the road crew was like, oh no, holding on, white knuckle flight. Wow. And, uh, yeah, but most of the time we had, you know, it was a lot of fun, pretty, pretty good accommodations, and it was a first class tour, you know. Those guys didn't do anything like uh, half assed.
2: Right. Did you, now, this is totally geeky, but, um, did you? Oh, as it?
4: opposed to the previous know, know, exactly. Okay, yeah. I, I just <laughs> want to know if you could specify. We're
2: really crossing the line. This here. is no.
4: this is totally okay.
2: <laughs> All right, Not I'm ready. <laughs>
0: What's your favorite kind of capacitor?
1: (laughs) (laughs) When will Bell Dottos be coming back? The Vichay forty-seven microfarad. I like the spray orange drops. All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes.
2: (laughs) No, I wanted to know about like pre-show production. Did you do a sound check every time, or did you like?
4: We did a lot of sound checks. Yeah, we did. uh, You know, when you got twelve AC 30s on stage, right? uh, it would uh we would do sound checks, yeah, with queen we did, we didn 't do much with Elton, but we did a lot with Queen um, because we were playing stadiums and stuff, and right. you had to be you had to be you know it's, you can 't just get out there sometimes with that kind of band, um, so they would go and check stuff out in the afternoons
2: well that 's good I mean I was just curious because when I was with uh, Rob and we were with Steve. We'd start sound checking, but towards the end of the tours or the end of the shows, it would be. You know. Yeah, we wouldn't
4: always do it every single time, but a lot of the time we did. And Elton didn't sound check very much; he really didn't. Well, our our joke used to be at the end of the tour, I'd be like, "Okay, do we have sound? Check."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was soundcheck. That was pretty much it.
4: <laughs> I mean, it was uh, you know, with Supertramp, they would do extensive sound checks, right. And then. Then you'd be stuck at a soccer stadium with, you know, a bunch of cement walls for five hours before the shows. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, I don't mind doing sound checks. It's you know we end up jamming on stage, so yeah. it's, it's just fun. You know, I, I appreciated that.
2: I mean, sometimes there was just magic that would happen during the sound. checks. Yeah, those yeah. those are some of my favorite moments. Exactly, because yeah. there's no pressure and you're just kind of jamming, and um, you know sometimes the sound guys would record it, sometimes they wouldn't, and uh, you get some really good good things.
4: I ended up you know with Elton. I ended up having a little. I had a. A mixing thing. I got this from Nigel Olson. I, he always had a big, you know, mixing board beside him, and he mixed himself throughout the night. Need more draw, you know, more guitar or whatever. It was right. all there. And I had a very simple setup. I had like, like a sixteen-channel mixer and uh, stereo sound behind me, and I'd bring in Elton's piano and Davey's guitar or Nigel's drums or whoever was playing, and I could always set up a pretty standard mix. So I never had to yell across for you know uh, mixing uh, for the soundboard, the sound guy on the side of the stage. So. It helped a lot with my consistency, and I didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, because it can be a scary thing if you can't hear yourself on stage in front of that many people, and you don't know what you're playing. But people don't realize you literally can't really hear the other side of the stage. Mm. When it's acoustic and people are playing on the other side, you know, there's a delay. So if that's not happening and you're in front of a bunch of people, people don't realize that it can be a pretty terrifying situation.
2: Yeah. What was the biggest crowd you ever played in front of?
4: Well, I think Live Aid was pretty big.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah that was a- well, that's <laughs> four billion. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> well, we, the, you know, I think there was a couple billion watching, and then there was a couple. So I wore my nicest jacket. If we're going to get back to the geek factor, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it was I uh, was a pretty big crowd. Which band was with, with, with Elton? Oh. Which, strangely enough, I we were on after Queen. I think Queen was on, so I saw them in the deck's dressing room. I went and told them I th- they did a great set. You know. There was The Who, they had, Bob Geldof had, um, there were four trailers backstage, and you're only allowed to, like a half hour before and a few minutes afterwards to get in and out, because it was pretty regimented, the show. So there was a bunch of us sitting around. There was David Bowie, Queen, Elton, and and uh, The Who, I think, were there, too. So, But, uh, you know, it was, it was a great show. It had a lot of fun. But you were in and out, and it was pretty nerve-wracking, because they revolved the stage around, kind of, you know. Right. The, uh, and as a matter of fact, my friend was mixing McCartney, and he couldn't find, uh, they changed the uh, the channels on them, the mics, and for half of the song, you couldn't hear Paul out front until, you know, Clive Franks was doing it, he was a pretty fam- famous out front sound engineer. He actually recorded the Trogs tape, for those of us who, uh, you know the Trogs tape? Oh, wow. Yeah, the Trogs in the studio, who having their big argument.
2: They yeah. Follow,
4: know. You know, that's a classic... Underground, it's like Buddy Rich yelling at his band. Really? Uh, yeah, this is the Trogs having a giant argument, which is actually probably cre- the cre- predecessor to Spinal Tap. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. 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 <laughs> check it out. Now, my friend, my friend was in the studio, put his hand over the talkback mic, and recorded the whole thing. That's a classic. <laughs> oh,
2: that's <laughs> awesome. I gotta. I
1: could Google that one. So uh, being a big Supertramp fan, I'm curious uh, what synths you played on the road with them. Once again,
4: I was using two Jupiters, but I was running all over the stage because I had two Jupiters, and then I had the DCB bus, which was the predecessor of MIDI. Right, right.
0: Right. With an MSQ-700 or something. Yeah,
4: yeah, well, I wasn't using sequencing, but it was good because we used, for the orchestration, for orchestral parts, there was a lag, so Mm -hmm. it actually made the two Jupiters which were both, you know, plugged in, sound bigger. Right. So it it was, you know, it helped, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I used two of those, and then I'd run over to Rick's B3, I'd play that, and then we had a customs, you know, Wurlitzers, which were the signature sound of that mm-hmm. band, right. and they were modified with additional transformers and and you know what it sounds like when you crack out one of those wurlitzers. It's the worst sound of the world when you take out a reed on a Wurlitzer, you know, it's like mm-hmm. thirty thousand people going, is not a good sign, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they they had souped up stuff and it worked great. There was such a they had such a consistent sound on stage it was amazing. The drummer was just it was like being in a studio on stage with those guys. Mm-hmm. Because everything was really you know, it was coordinated with the giant um projection on the back of the it had a train sequence, a, you know. A, it was just really well done, and uh, you know, great sound on stage. Those guys were always sound fanatics as far as the records and stuff, you know. So, but they did uh, they did a great job on stage too.
2: Any uh, memorable moments during the show when your keyboards didn't work or something detuned or?
4: Well, Elton actually told this story uh, on uh, the Leno show. I think it was. It was not that they didn't work, but I was pretty new in the band and. Uh, the band was playing. They'd been together a lot of time. Dee and Davy had been with that band since the, you know, since the seventies. And I don't know what was going on. One night we were playing, and they were going to different parts. I'd be going to the chorus where it was supposed to be, and they were in the verse. And then, I, then I'd go to the, you know, it was really kind of scary. So I went back to the sound guy. I said, I think something's wrong. I think someone put some acid in my drink or anything. He said, no, no, no. He they said, they're just all stoned. And, <laughs> and they were playing the same parts, because they played together so long that Elton would go somewhere else. And he'd try to screw us around on stage sometimes. I remember in Europe when he was having a bad night, he was angry at the audience. He'd keep repeating choruses or something that weren't supposed to be there or going somewhere else. <laughs> and we'd be going, oh, God, I've been watching his hands. And You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know. But, you know, Alice really, Alice Cooper had the weirdest stuff for me. We were tear-gassed in St. Paul, Minneapolis on stage. Really? Yeah, I finished my piano solo, and uh, about 12,000 people were running. So I thought, eh. Uh, not a good one. <laughs> and uh, someone, someone threw a military tear gas canister on stage. A military emptied out the entire auditorium during our encores. You know. School's out for summer. Out, yeah. <laughs> wow. I had a gun pointed at me on stage. Uh, we had a riot in Toronto, my hometown. I got 35 friends there, and Alice doesn't show up. And now we've got to get 35 friends out. It's on, actually on YouTube. You can see it. It's a big, massive riot. And I had, brought, I had trainer amplifiers I was being sponsored by. So I brought all the trainer guys down. And the first thing they do is <laughs> they're throwing chairs at my amplifier. <laughs> oh, man. So I guess they're, look, your amp is holding up pretty nicely. Uh, <laughs> that chair didn't even uh, do much to it. So,
2: You know, that's the one thing about when you play at some of these venues, it's depending on what, you're, what act you're with. Like I yeah. was with the, um, an R&B act on the Budweiser Superfest. And yeah. during one of the shows um, – When uh, I was with SWV and while they were performing, there was a shooting in the audience Uh during their performance, and all you heard was pop, 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 and then you just saw chairs just go, just pop up like popcorn. People were going. I mean, it's just. Oh, get out of hand pretty quickly. Small, small, you know, fine line between just utter chaos and your performance.
4: Well, you know, it's a weird thing because I I did some stuff for Anthrax recently. I was mentioning that. And I was talking to the Scotty and the uh, guitar player, and I was saying, we were. I was thinking, you know, he's, he's a modern version of the metal th- scene that we used to be in. Because we were on tour, ACDC was opening for us in those days, and it was a pretty rough crowd. But now I said, you know, what's it like nowadays for you guys? And he said, oh, we don't have any problems at all. They've got great security. And I didn't realize they can't bring bottles in and stuff anymore and throw them at the band like they used to, you know. A guy threw a hockey puck at me one day. You know, how do you dodge a hockey puck? at the dark? This is all you hear, you know. And, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I looked down and there's a hockey puck rolling around. me, And I'm Canadian. You know, normally that would be fun, but not, not when they're aiming at your head, you know. Looks like you still have all your teeth. So. Yeah, What's yeah, right. left from the Yeah. They would throw stuff, I, you know, all night. The babies used to open up for us, and they used to drink beer on stage, and then they had a few bottles out to the... They could, you know, the guys in the front could drink beer. And then we'd come on stage and they'd throw the bottles at us. <laughs> so we had to tell them, don't, hang, don't hand the bottles out to the audience because they're, for you, they're beer, but now for us, they're projectiles. You know? I mean, Alice had two Marines on either side of the stage. You know, anybody came on stage, they were not, it was not a, you know, they were not escorted off. They were knocked back into the audience. At the, you know, it was pretty rough. But anyway,
2: it was a lot of fun. You know, there was something kind of fun though about shows back in the day. That I mean, nowadays there just, weren't insurance they, companies. Well, nowadays you get the uh, you know everything is so choreographed. Everything is so like timed, planned. planned. There's no there's no spontaneity, and, and except for like Stevie. Stevie's still pretty sp- um, spontaneous. I mean, well, he's they, spontaneous
0: as a performer, yeah. but it's a pretty well behaved crowd. Yeah, he, he doesn't exactly get like. You know, Hell's Angels showing up. <laughs> yeah. You're ready to start a fight. It's but just not his crowd.
2: But, you know, if you wanted to play different songs or if you wanted to drop a song or you wanted to do, you know, just something different, you know, between – I think one of the big appeals of like The Grateful Dead when they were touring is it was never the same show. They'd always kind of do stuff. They'd always And actually Stevie still does
0: that. He still doesn't – he might have a partial set list for part of the show. But still after all these years, he just, you know, shoots from the hip and does whatever – you know, the spirit kind of moves him to do. Yeah, and he still sings every song like it's the first time he ever sang it. It's very hard when you've been doing it that long, yeah, yeah, to, to keep everything so fresh and relevant and not feel like it's just old and tired. But a lot and of shows, some artists right can do that. A lot of yeah. shows
3: right now are multimedia extravaganzas. Well, I know that's the that thing. You know, uh, well, and a lot of things.
0: times it's because they need to be. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, well, but, they're not. I that mean, it
3: used to be there was a soundboard and
2: a lighting board, and, yeah. and, and it now around. it's like. Three stories of people. Yeah, and the whole backfield. Eighteen is a whole, trucks. You
4: know. Well,
2: yeah. yeah, I did sound design for a couple big live shows for the interstitials, and I had to have them timed out exactly, and then we had to I had to have a four count on the um on one channel because that was getting fed to the drummer, and I mean it was just it and was that's just why so, everybody's
4: locked in, and why you can't just say, oh, I think I'll just do this song because. It, it it throws the whole thing off yeah. and for the night, and you know everything's programmed, and guys have their the set programmed in the computers, and you know you can't just change. That's too bad in some ways, you know.
0: I've told the story on other podcasts about how spontaneous Stevie was, even when we had an orchestra. And he'd be jamming with the band and the orchestra, and then he'd decide to take it to an extra bridge or an extra chorus, and you know, just forgetting for a second, you got like a fifty-piece orchestra behind you that can't actually make a U-turn like that. That's right, I mean, and it, it can lead to some yeah Elton hilarious. Did, accidents. Elton
4: did that with James Newton Howard. He's conducting eighty-eight guys, the Melbourne uh, Symphony Orchestra, <laughs> and then and, and sit, you know, he decides to play a few little extra bars, and I saw James turn around in the you know. His face was turning white that's a big problem when you, you know it's it's not it's, you don't say to an orchestra okay guys let's just you know let's just jam let's vamp on for a while right. yeah.
1: <laughs> okay
4: take, okay guys take it yeah
2: it doesn't end well sometimes now, Fred, with your live stuff and your studio stuff what what did you prefer one over the other or did you just love them both
4: well, I like them both, and you know i I mean I haven't been going on the road that much lately. I've just been doing mostly studio stuff and, and working on my own stuff, so um yeah, I like both aspects. It's all the different animals, really. You know, playing in the studio and playing live are two different things in some in some way. You know, um, I did a little you know, some country records and stuff in the past few years, which have been you know whole different bag uh, for me. But no, I like it all. I like I like the challenge of going into different situations and playing different different things. You know. And where are you based now? Los Angeles. Here. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Now, when you um, when you play, you've played since. Do you? Are you one of those kind of keyboard players where you always like to come back home to like the piano I mean you
4: I am actually because I spent so much time on synth and stuff in the I don't know if you feel that way but I, on the in the Definitely. 80s I got so tired of you know I mean I was really a, a piano player and a guitar player in a band that had a piano player and a guitar player so for so many years and I did a lot of stuff in the 80s which was very synth oriented and much as I like that stuff I mean right now I mean I I like playing piano and and, and organ and guitar and kind of keeping it the, back to the basics because, you know, there are new synths out, but I don't hear anything that... You know, the other thing with synth- synth- synthesizers is that you have to, you know, use them appropriately because the song really dictates what, what you need. And yeah. if you're not writing that kind of material, you don't want to just shove stuff in because that sounds ridiculous too. So um, I don't know. I, I use what's appropriate. I try to use them as a tool. But I do like playing piano and organ a lot, you know, and, and guitar. That's my basic. What kind of
3: guitar do you play?
4: Well, I play uh, a bunch of stuff. I, uh, I have a 66 Telecaster. I got a Les Paul. Uh, Elton gave me a Steinberger, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Really? That's cool. And uh, I had a Tom Anderson for a while. Um, what else do I use? Uh, I caught an Epiphone Nighthawk, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh Squire Strat that I bought in eighty five. I had a sixty strat and I got rid of that and got a squire strat in eighty five. I don't know why I did that. It was one of those stupid things to <laughs> go. Yeah, let's get rid of something that's worth now fifty thousand and get something like three hundred and fifty dollars. That's I think I'd like to do that. Uh, that's a good idea. Good business sense. Hey Fred, what kind of piano do you have? Do hey, you have it mic'd up for I was hoping record. you'd ask that. No, I actually I, that was uh, I got a present from Elton on my uh on my birthday, we were doing a record called uh, Red Strikes Back in Air London and uh, George Martin's studio. And uh, they had gotten, Elton had gotten a second piano. We were both facing one another on podiums. And I, I don't know why he did this. I was playing a GS1 at the time, the Yamaha right. of, and a Jupiter, GS1 and a Jupiter. And um, he got this uh, Steinway, the smaller Steinway. He had a six foot, uh, nine foot, and he brought this six foot Steinway. And I was going to use it, and apparently it got dropped or something. There was a slight hairline crack, so they didn't use it on stage. They didn't think it was roadworthy. So on my uh, birthday, he uh, he gave me the piano. So I've got a Steinway from Elton. White wow! Stone. Yeah, yes.
2: that's cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah,
4: really cool present. And it's a 1928. It's been totally refurni- refurbished inside. So. Wow! And it sounds like it was actually modified for him. Because he had lacquered hammers on stage. Really bright, right? really, really hard bright. Really bright almost honky talk, but they were really, you know, like if you hear the song, you know, Benny and you can hear the Yeah. But they really poked out. And they were so heavy that it took me uh I had to get a guy over who was a specialist and, you know, he was a very good piano uh, technician. And we softened them up so that the now functions I can hit it hard and it'll sound like a rock and roll piano, but I can also get, go soft, you know, soft on it. Which I couldn't do before because right. they were just, you know, bing bing but uh, no, that was a great present, and I'm eternally thankful to Elton for that one, man. That's, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a present, you know.
2: Now, of all your work that you've done, what is there one track that you just like? Yeah, this is I'm am re- really proud of this
1: one.
4: Well, I don't know. I'm pretty happy. You know, they're all good things. I was happy doing you know some of the things that weren't. known, one too, which uh, I, some of the you know I don't know if everybody feels about that, but some of the tracks are that are not yeah. big tracks are, are your favorites too. Absolutely. You know? But I, I guess I'd have to say uh, we did sacrifice. That was kind of a cool tune. We made it. it was Elton's first number one in the UK, mm. and then Radio Gaga, "I Want to Break Free," um, and uh, some of all You know, some of the stuff on the wall. I guess, but uh, yeah, I guess those are my favorites.
2: Now, um, you know, we get a lot of listeners that are, are young guys wanting to make it in the, in the music industry, wanting to either you know, be songwriters or performers and you've kind of made it as as a really good, you know, side stage keyboard player, which in and of itself is its own art. What kind of advice would you give to somebody? What makes a good side stage keyboard player? Not that you were side stage. Well, right?
4: you know, I don't know if I'm entirely qualified to answer that anymore because it's changed so much, you know. I've seen the new guys going out and they've got, you know, like you say, a small rig and and are very adept at using computer stuff and plugins and uh, you know, um but I think that the main thing is just uh, you know we've all played keyboards in situations and uh, you play B three and all that stuff and mm-hmm. I guess it's just you know I've always found that the you know staying out of the way and playing what's appropriate is what how you function in those situations. That's, awesome. That's- because you want and aside from that you want to have a you know a good uh, work ethic on the road. And I took it pretty seriously, you know, uh, because every gig is that you do is really your your career on the line. Is that that's your you know you you treat every gig like it's your uh, you know your, your first gig. That's awesome. So, I mean that you know I can all I can say is work hard and uh, know your technology nowadays, and uh, you know and, and then it's luck for the rest of it. You know, back it up with talent if you have some, and that's that's about it.
2: <laughs> you know, what? that's really important though, because <clears throat> when I used to keyboard tech. You know, you could always tell the the frustrated keyboard players that would get in the way. They'd want to flourish. They'd want to play something a little bit more than what was really necessary because it was all about them as opposed to being all about the act and all about the song. So I'm I'm so glad you said that because that it's, you know, obviously that's why you worked as long as you did and worked who you worked for.
4: So. Well, yeah, I was lucky. I came in at a time and, you know— um I was just fortunate and happened to fall into those situations because I couldn't have planned those situations, you know. I, I was really I ran into a string of luck there, really, and just uh, I think a lot of the stuff I did in Toronto helped me because I was playing in demanding, you know, fusion bands and stuff right. where you had to cover a lot of ground, and that was very helpful. You know, I'm sure you find that with Stevie. That's challenging, mm-hmm. amazing stuff. You know, iconic work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 most critical thing because uh, you know Stevie was like the widowmaker when it came to keyboard players. You know, to get that gig, uh, and I sort of started more from the technology side and came in from that unique angle uh-huh. because to just audition as a keyboard player, I mean, you'd have every great keyboard player on earth showing up for that. The key, once you get a gig like that, or if you're going for a gig like that, is to know the material inside and out. And we saw enough keyboard players come and go to know, you know, what works and what doesn't, but know the material inside and out to the point where you're not thinking about it anymore because the real magic on stage is not when you're just duplicating the parts from the record or whatever. It's when the band decides to stray and jam and have fun and take it in another direction. Right. You need to make sure that you have your, your official task as muscle memory, so you're completely not thinking about that. If you're still stressing over, well, what's this chord and what's that chord, then you're going to die when the band decides to have some fun and stray away from it. So you need to just practice to the point where you're not thinking about it anymore so that you always have that to rely on. So that if the band does decide to take it in another direction, I mean, Stevie was was notorious for, you know, take it up a half step. Now, you know, now you, you know, now take it to giant steps and everybody's solos in giant steps and everybody's in a different key. And then we go back to the song we were playing. Right. And you got to be ready for that. And he would do it just, strictly to mess with you. Yeah. You know, but you got to see, you could tell who the guys were who seriously had those chops. Like when Phil and Gaines, you know, was playing keyboards for him. Yeah. It was like, there was nothing you could throw at him that he wouldn't do. And then he'd turn around and play it with his hands backwards, you know, behind his back. Right. You could just tell when someone had it. And there were other keyboard players who were more like utility guys who'd actually have the sheet music. They're covering parts, but they're never going to be part of that spontaneous, incredible musicianship. I'd say always strive...
4: For that spontaneity, because that's what makes a great show. Yeah, and I think that uh, you brought up something that's very important. And another thing is the, the li- is listening as well as playing. Sure. Because if you're not a good listener and you're just <clears throat> and you're not you know you're not concentrating on what's going on around you, then you can't respond to it. Mm-hmm. And people who are just you know have learned the song and that's it, <clears throat> like you say, like Alton used to take it out sometimes too, and go to different places right. and. And besides, when you're, you're caught in the song and you know you're in the moment, you know things happen. That magic thing happens, and that's the X factor that you can't read off a chart. You know, right. and you, when you, if you are, you're losing the ability to communicate amongst humans, which people forget is what is the, where it comes from. When you're playing live, yeah. it's really communication, and you, you know, something's going on that is intangible in those situations. And part of that has to do
1: with listening as well as playing. I think there's a great musical maturity that comes because, you know, as you were just saying, Rob, you know, Greg Gaines could go and he could blow over giant steps, yet that's not what he was primarily focused on. That's not what the gig was. Right. The gig right. was to sit there and, you know, play a B-flat seven chord for right. a long time or whatever it is. And, you know, that ma- that maturity... When you know that you're there to back up somebody who else is the star of the show, even though you've got chops for days, if you can just sit there and play your part dutifully until it's time for you to really shine. You know, well, your chops can get you fired, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That, that, that's not always a
4: positive thing.
0: No, no. I did, uh, I did some sessions with uh, Desmond Child, the writer. Yeah. And when musicians would come in, one of the first things he'd say is, okay, I know you're an amazing player and I appreciate that and that's probably why you know you got this call but I want you to forget everything you learned at music school I just want you to play these chords you know he knew that they'd be playing them great because they couldn't help but play them great but a lot of times I just worked with a band where this happened uh you know a piano player or something will come in they want to show you in 5 minutes check out how awesome I am I can blow your mind with all this incredible stuff and you say well that's delightful and I'm sure it'd impress the hell out of people at a party that's not what we're here for you know, I need some rocking eighth notes or something. Well, we, at yeah. coming out of
3: school, that was I, I well in Berkeley. is yeah, like the, the Berkeley. perfect Berkeley. Example. So, oh, especially yeah. as a guitar player, they're like, "Okay, great. You need to know how to play less notes."
0: Um, oh, I always tell because my,
3: everybody showed chops because that was the point. Was statistically who can play what and jazz fusion and all that. Maybe it was a sh-
0: disservice but, for the real world. So,
3: but one of the things they taught they taught us at the very end. They said, "Okay, we've taught you technique. Now you have to go out and learn how to play music." Because the whole point is to learn the instrument, and then what are you going to do with the instrument? And and that was a whole big thing. I,
0: I find myself always saying to Berkeley people after I hear a performance, it's like, okay, now I want to hear every other note. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like that was virtuoso,
4: and it had nothing to do with the song we're working on, but it was very impressive. Well, that's the thing I, th- I find with the metal scene sometimes nowadays is that there's a lot of amazing players out there, virtuoso guitar players. But not all the tunes are are great tunes anymore. Sure. So the trouble is that I have this thing. I love what the guy's playing, but I can't get past the tune sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's look at one of my favorite guitar players is Billy Gibbons. You know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't play half as fast as anybody around. But something's coming to. off his. God, something's coming off that guy's hands you
0: know right well i'll just say those uh metal songs if you don't like the songs as much anymore tell them to try a higher sample rate yeah right
4: they should have told the beatles that right
2: exactly well hey we have to wrap it up um fred this has just been just a joy having you here with us it's been fun and and talking about i learned a
4: lot about stuff i'm never going (laughs) to (laughs) use
2: and and i learned a lot about (laughs) soundcheck yeah but um I just thank you so much. Uh, and, uh, are you working on anything right now? Anything you want to want to plug? Well, I'm working thing?
4: on my solo record. That's, oh, great! Um, I got credit on that. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not out yet? You're not, not sure. Out, I'm not sure. But yeah.
2: When is that coming out? Or um, when do you
4: think you're going to release well, that? I'm mastering in the next week or so, and I don't know. It's a pretty pretty soon, I guess. Next few, mu- I mean, a few what, months. What kind right? of
3: style of music? What kind of? Yeah.
4: Well, it's basic rock and roll, pretty much rock, and it's it's piano rock with guitar stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Are you singing on yeah, it? Yeah, I did all the vocals. My friend produced vocals. Nice. 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 Do you have a website? I mean, we're not not yet. I'm working on that, though.
2: Okay. But well,
4: it'll be fredmandel.com. I came up with that one. <laughs> and it was available.
2: Yeah, it was <laughs>
1: available.
4: I just renewed
2: it. Well, just nice. let us know. Keep us in the loop. Ah, for sure. I'll let you guys and, know and when, we'll, it,
4: when it comes
0: out. And for we'll, sure
2: we'll, we'll bring you back on. Okay, and great. This time when Martin's here, when he's not sick. Sounds he, good. He's looking. He was looking forward to, to and, meeting
0: you. And you can promote it mercilessly. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, we're not we're not opposed to it. We have four all. people listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's a start. We'll have eight people by then. Yeah. but um, yeah. So uh, thank you so much. We appreciate you being My here. My pleasure. And um, before we go, Rob, you working on anything uh, that you can talk about? I
0: actually am. I'm I'm still working with that uh, band from Texas, which I still don't go into a lot of details about. But right. um, we've been making progress on their album. And last week, we spent a couple days in Vegas at the Palms Hotel Studio, right. which it? It's a pretty awesome studio. Uh, I've know, heard about it. Yeah, I've they built this high end room. It's in one of the hotel towers, so you can stay in the hotel and then, you know, work on your tracks and then go and lose whatever money you're going to make on the song and then come back and work <laughs> on it some more. But it's a really nice facility uh, with a big live tracking room, and we were shooting some video and interacting with some other stars who happened to be in Vegas, so that's why we were there. Wow. But it was an awesome experience and setting up the whole band live and doing some, you know, real. Rock tracking was really, really fun. Awesome. So that's what I did last week, and okay. it, was, it was great. And that project is going to be coming out later this year. I will, I will be able to start talking about it.
2: <laughs> oh, great. Hey, Scott, what about you? Hello! Any, oh. no, um, any big movies, or did you a big movie out for a little bit? Uh, a little bit. You know, I, I, I recently
3: changed facilities. Right. So um, uh, we started a new company called the Famosa Group over at the lot. the would Warner a Hollywood lot or the – Goldwyn lot depends how far back you want to go so we've been building rooms building studios uh, we're very busy um, um working with Guillermo de Toro on uh, an upcoming tv uh, adventure that he's working on right now can't go too much into that um and uh, doing a bunch of games which of course I can't talk about but uh no it's, it's good uh, we, we set up shop and after about two weeks we hit the ground running and uh And it's great.
2: Awesome. Nick, how about you? Are you going to do a I can't talk about it either? No, I'm not. No, (laughs) I'm not.
1: I'm just not going to say what I'm –
2: Can't talk about it.
1: Can't talk about it. Don't have it
2: out yet. Can't talk about it.
1: (laughs) Um, Let's see. Doing a ton of iPad apps over at Disney Publishing, my regular Ah. day gig as usual. Um, And so that's moving along uh, really well. It's a lot of fun uh, working on some – stuff that I can't talk about, but a bunch of apps that have been released yes. already, like Planes and Mickey Mouse Paint and Play and stuff like that, that are all doing really nicely in the App Store. Um, but the big fun thing that I had last week, I went out and got to do a field recording session um, for a friend of mine who um, works at a TV station that does a lot of uh, video game playback stuff, where you know nice. people go out and win at World of Warcraft, and in this case, Um, World of Tanks Um, so they took the winners of this World of Tanks you know sort of marathon thing and they rented a Sherman tank and a German Hetzer anti-tank machine and I was out there recording the clatters and you know movements of the tanks as well as them firing off their guns and those were loud but it was really fun and we got some great recordings out of it so it was really nice
2: that's awesome, that's great
1: and you Mike?
2: uh i can't talk about it it. no the one thing i can talk about is uh axe cop for fox that i do the sound design and mix we just got picked up well it got picked up for some more episodes which is nice nice. so that's fun you know and um doing some music stuff that's like everybody else can't say anything about it but as soon as it comes out we will be able to (laughs) i just actually
0: realized there is something i can talk about now i did uh a bunch of the uh uh, like trailer and promo music for that Don John movie. Oh, yeah. The Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah uh, movie. And uh, and I actually, while I was in Vegas, I saw the commercials playing like crazy. I hadn't seen much before them, but I think they did a last-minute blip. Nice. And those are all your cues? Uh, some of them are. Some nice. of them is like uh, hit records that they license. Right. Anything that you don't recognize is probably me. Great. Well, that's my story in life pretty much <laughs>
2: I've never heard that before that must be wrong <laughs> <laughs> can't talk well, about
4: it can't talk about
0: can't talk it talk exactly about it. Yeah.
2: well that's why I don't do any like, daily tweets on the Twitter account because it's like hey I'm working on something right now that I can't talk about <laughs> I'm working on another thing right now that I can't talk about <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> I'm doing yeah. a solo album. I can't talk about it.
1: <laughs> well, hey, I'm look- going to
2: talk about your solo album for you. For- yeah,
1: we're
4: going to have our mitzvah projects on Klezmer stuff, but I can't talk about <laughs> it.
2: Well, hey, if you have any comments or questions, you can always reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash audio nowcast. Um, and also, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's uh, at audio nowcast and I will be tweeting from the AES show. I don't know what, but I will be tweeting from the AES show. So as long as I get one tweet from the AES show, <laughs> I will have fulfilled my commitment. That is true. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you once again, Fred, uh, for joining us. A lot of fun. Thanks. And uh, Nick, thank you for uh, joining us on the panel.
1: Always a pleasure, and again, the honor is mine. Thank All
2: right. You. Well, for myself and the guys, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See
1: you. See
0: you. Ya.
4: Ya. See ya. Bye.
2: That's
0: it. It's wrap. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel voice processor.